I remember thinking, I'm like, what a fucking weird, interesting combination of a guy who doesn't seem to have a regular job, lives across the street, drinks so much coffee, selling used books and giving away free skateboards. Like, I don't understand what's happening right now. Anybody can do anything, but most people just drift through life and take what's dealt to them. I had nothing to begin with, so I was never, ever averse to taking risks. What's cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Cat and Cloud podcast. Today, man, my emotions are just flowing from all angles. Today, I interview my friend Mike Reezy, a.k.a. Reezy Resells. We've known Mike for over a decade, and his journey through business has kind of paralleled our journey through growing and leadership and ultimately opening the cafe where we're at right now. Mike's story is one of the most insane I've ever heard or at least got to witness personally. He went from being a high school dropout, being a father, age 16, getting married when he was 16. He's still married, no job, no nothing. Going from all that to going to over $5 million in Amazon sales the last 13 years, he buys stuff and sells it on Amazon, provides for his family, provides for his community, gives it back. He's given to us in so many ways and to figure out why he's so special to us, so special to me as a friend, you got to listen. This is this is going to be this is nuts. I don't like to use the terms like inspirational, motivational because there's so much of that floating around, but his story is inspirational, motivational. You can write me all the hate mail you want later. We're going to get into it with Mike Reezy, a.k.a. Reezy Resells. Enjoy this one, y'all. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples, so there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable, and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on Steeped Coffee Packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D, coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. For me, the vlogs that I like the most are like my travel vlogs. And the reason why I like it is because... I'm genuinely excited in the video and because when you travel to new places, you don't have to have plans because everything's new, everything's excited and that translates on video and it kind of like makes your job easier. I'm literally doing the same thing, but what I'm doing is just more, like with the camera, same thing, but everything else is more exciting. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's super important. Like fresh material is great. It's like getting your brain into a new place that it's never been into is one of the most exciting things for me. We just gave reviews last week, and for my direct reports, the people that work directly for me, one of the one of the questions that I had on the survey is, what advice would you give for me? What's one thing that I could do better? And they're like, take more vacations, because you get so excited when you go out of town, and like you get to see all this new stuff, and you bring that energy back to us, and oh, they, they'd love that. Definitely. I think I took a long time to realize that, too, is that... Um 
you need to do that. Even like most people probably don't really enjoy what they do for a living. Like a small percentage of people are like living their dream, like or or a portion of it, or working towards it even. Um, but it's just it's super important to just have that right, so you can just keep going through and not just just. <laughs> I forget where I was going with that, man. You can go anywhere. Well. You've had one of the craziest stories that I've ever heard of, and maybe I just think it's crazy because I've known you personally for a long time, and I've got to see it happen right before my eyes, but let's rewind this thing really quickly and set like a little bit of a primer. Yeah, let's do it. You grew up where? Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, California, and... On the west side. Oh, you're a west sider. I, I used to think I was. Dude. I used to wear like all red... I moved to the east side later, which you'll hear about in a second, but I used to still wear, like, my west side gear. It was super weird. So when I moved to Santa Cruz in 2009, someone yelled at me for wearing all red on the east side. It's a real thing. It was a real thing. I had no idea. I had no idea it was Just for the record, like that. Chris got it figured out because he's clearly wearing a blue hat on I the got east a, side I right now. I got a blue hat. I'm, I got the blue hoodie on earlier. I'm, <laughs> I'm dialed in. <laughs> when, by the time I moved to Santa Cruz, which was 2009, I met you through the cafe because you lived in the building that we're sitting in right now, which is right across the street from the original Verve where Jared and I were both working at the time. Yep. But your story starts way before that. So you, how do I even kick this off? Like you had an interesting childhood. Like when did you have your first kid? So, um, I was in 10th grade. I had just turned 16 years old. Um, that's, when I had my first daughter, um, Alyssa, who now weirdly works for you. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> She's great. It's, it's weird. It's full circle. But so, yeah, I was like a bad kid or neglected, whatever, and I got into a lot of trouble. I learned, like, how to hustle, how to fend for myself. Um, I sold drugs at a young age. I eventually got shipped. I was in, like, group homes and foster homes. I ran away and got shipped off to Kansas to live with. Uh, my sister, which was the only person that would take me, which was weirdly like meant to be because I met my wife there. So when you say then, you got shipped off, who shipped you off? Was it your parents? I actually, or? I actually ran away. Mm-hmm. I was in a foster home or a group home and they were going to, and it was in Santa Cruz and they were going to move me to uh, Fresno. And if you grew up here in Santa Cruz, that's like your worst nightmare. Like I was like, oh my God, like hot, like what is, no. And so I ran away. And I was going to live with my dad in Santa Cruz, and the cops had already been there looking. I couldn't live with my dad because he was, like, on, on a bad level. But uh, And he was like, I called your mom, called your sister, you're going to Kansas. I had been there before for one summer, so I knew it was going to suck, but it was, like, my only option. My dad gave me 100 bucks, which is the only time he really ever gave me any money, and put me on a Greyhound, and it was, like, a, a 24-hour trip to, or more, like, a three-day trip, I think. Yeah, 24 hours if you drive, but on the bus, it's, like, three days to Kansas, but it was weirdly meant to happen because that's where I met my wife and had my first daughter. And then we moved back to Santa Cruz um, before she started kindergarten. So what do you do? You're on this bus to Kansas. You're in Kansas. You're 16 years old. Yep. And what was the plan when you land there? You know, your dad gave you 100 bucks. What are you uh, supposed to do? Uh, well, my sister came and got me. My sister, it was like, she's older than me. She was married, and I went and lived with her. And then, But was there any plan to go to school or so at first I couldn't go to school because the California government was like quote unquote looking for me. So I just laid low for like three months looking for you. 
like they I ran away. So okay, I got literally you. my social worker was at my foster home when I ran away, and and then they were like looking for me to like I was a lost. You know what I mean? Um, but anyways, so then I got on the thing, went to Kansas, and then laid low. And then after a while, I think maybe they figured out or someone in the family told California. And California was like, oh, he's with someone that, like, cares about him. Cool. And they, like, took me out of the system. That's, like, how I got out of the California system. How old are you at this time? Were you still 16? Fifth, I was, like, 15. 15, okay. Yeah. It was, so, like, right this, It was the summer between 8th and ninth grade. Got you. Yeah. So... Kansas, and then you met Rosa, who's your wife. Right, in art class. Art class? Yep. Where where was this art class? Uh, at, at Salina High School South. So amazing. It's the weirdest design building. But I remember, I was like, damn, she's a super hot Mexican chick. And I was like, <laughs> but she's too hot for me. And so I gave up on her, right? But then later, I was hanging out with my boy, um, staying at his house, and uh, we we were like would skate together, and then you know like stay at his house or my house on the weekends, and he was like on the computer. And I was like, dude, get off the computer! Like, let's play Tony Hawk One or whatever it was. I don't remember. And uh, he was like, no, I'm talking to a girl in a chat room, and I'm like, who are you talking to? And he was on like AOL in a chat room, and he's like, I'm talking to Rosa. And I'm like, you're talking to Rosa? And I was like, back up! Kicked him out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> the, slid in a the little rest bit. Was, dude, I slid in on the DMs before there was DMs. Pre-DM. Yeah. AOL AO- Instant a- Messenger. AOL IMs. IM. <laughs> People don't know that. I was sliding IM. in on the IMs. The original <laughs> slide in. Shout out to everyone out there who was sliding in on the IMs. So you got together with her, and what was... Okay, because I've always heard your timeline in this truncated thing to where you're right. in Santa Cruz, you go to Kansas City, you come back. Yeah, not How? Kansas City, Salina, Kansas. It's Salina, the butthole Kansas. of okay. America. The butthole of America. Literally, one freeway goes uh, north to south, goes to Canada and Mexico. Huh. The other one goes to California to New York. Like, and it's just a highly advanced truck stop. There is nothing there. So it's just the center of the nothing. Nothing. Amazing. How... How long were you there, and how was your relationship developing with her before you decided that you wanted to come back to California? Um, so, she, we we had Alyssa probably like about a year after we got together, so we didn't, you know, take much time. Um, and then, once Alyssa was born, our it's a crazy story, but Alyssa was born with a birth defect, and not a lot of people know this. So she had a tracheal esophageal fistula, which is like a one in a million. It's a deformation of how your esophagus is formated. So there's a bunch of different ways it can happen. But hers, it was just a dead end. It didn't connect to her stomach. So when she was born, she was like turning blue because your esophagus is producing saliva and like all this stuff. And we're in a small Kansas town. So Alyssa took a helicopter right after she was born, to have surgery done, and she spent her first two weeks in the neonatal ICU. So that was the first two weeks of, of Alyssa's life, um, and we were in, like, a bigger town, and we were staying in the Ronald McDonald house, and I remember we weren't old enough to stay there by ourselves, so we had to have family members come rotating shifts, like, every other night, drive 45 minutes from the other small town to come stay with us, and everybody acted like everything was cool. Then the day we get to take the baby home... My wife's mom wanted nothing to do with me and wouldn't let me come over to see my own kid or anything. And I tried to, like, get the police involved. And it was like, well, since your wife's a minor and, you know, then her mom technically, like, owns the baby, can, like, tell her what to do. 
and this was all like brand new news. And that's that happened like in an instant. That was like the first two days of being back from the neonatal ICU. And what we're cool now. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking at this time? Because I can't imagine you had healthcare or how did that work? Or uh, it's just, just government healthcare. Government healthcare. Stuff. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was super like young and like full of rage, like liable to like who knows do what, you know, like long before I had sworn off going to jail, you know. So. <laughs> How did you overcome that to her? Um, cool. So my kid's here. I'm not allowed to come so over. So what, what I initially did, because my, my sister was like kind of cooler with the situation, um, but it was still, you know, it was still, I was still being told what to do like I was a kid. Like it was just, I wasn't able to do what I needed to do really. Um, I remember we used to, we used to skip school sometimes because I would give her a ride to school and the school had like a, a daycare program that was like free for us, but it was off site. So I'd pick up Alyssa and Rosa and then drop Alyssa off at daycare and go to school. But sometimes we wouldn't even go to daycare. We would just hang out as a family because like that was the only way we could all hang out together without any of our family knowing or like trying to get on us, you know, because we didn't have a place to go to. Right. So it's like this is your little safe place for your quote unquote secret but not secret relationship. It was so stupid. But eventually uh, what happened was I started researching on the Internet um, and in the local law library about common law marriage. And a lot of people kind of think they know about it. But basically what happened is a long time ago when people were colonizing the United States and they were doing like the westward expansion, they made the common law marriage law, which basically said that if the public thinks you're husband and wife and you say you're husband and wife, you are husband and wife legally. And they made it because you could live somewhere for years before a pastor could come through to marry you. There's no churches. You know what I mean? You could be on the middle of nowhere. Frontier land, right. Got you. Almost all sensible states <laughs> ratified this. But, of course, the four or five in the middle of the United States, Kansas being one, didn't. And the law says something ridiculous like... Um, Girls need to be 14 and guys need to be 15 and you don't need parent consent. So you already qualify. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so what I did was I found a local lawyer. I showed him the photocopies I made. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. I think I paid him 100 bucks. We literally wrote a piece of paper that said we are husband and wife as per whatever this law and we say we are. And then him and his assistant signed it as witnesses and we were married. And I served. I didn't serve. I just like one night I was... Uh, my sister worked nights, I remember, and I was waiting for her to come home in the morning. I had packed all my stuff into my car, and then she, she has kids, so I, I didn't want to leave. I was there with the kids. Then she pulls up in the driveway in the morning, and I go out the back door, get in my car, and drive off with all my stuff. And I went to go live with uh, my friend Tyler. His mom let me live with him. And, of course, it was this weird situation. As soon as I moved out, I filed for government aid, and I could now work full-time. So I started working full-time at this telemarketing place. Um, but I was getting food stamps and because I was a minor, I was like legally an adult, but like civilly, but still a minor in other terms. There's like two ways they rate you. So my income didn't count against me. So I'm making like eight to $10 an hour full time telemarketing, but still getting like $400 a month food stamps. It didn't disqualify right. you from the government. And so assistance. I was like, Hey, Tyler's mom, like, let me like stay on the couch or like stay in town. I'll, I'll like, you know, pay for 200 bucks of your groceries every month, you know, or whatever. So that's how that started. Um, and then her mom, like, you know, wasn't into it at all and hated me forever and ever. 
uh, would not, like I literally was scum. I didn't exist. Um, eventually I got an apartment. The day I got an apartment, her mom just flipped 180 degrees and was like, you can take her. The day I got the keys to the apartment, she moved in with me with the baby. And that's like when we started living on our own. What was the reason for the change of heart? All I can say is it's like she thought I was like a punk or like I wasn't going to be about about it. Like, I don't know. Just like you're some sloppy kid and like. Yeah, you're not going to take care of my daughter. Have my daughter's best intentions in mind. Yeah. Protective parent stuff. Right. So that's how, you know, we got our first like super haggard place in a basement of another house like but it was our first place so it was this super is in cool. the butthole of america still. in the basement of the butthole <laughs> of america <laughs> right next to a burger king literally you could walk out of our door and like throw a football and hit the drive-through <laughs> at burger king and we used to eat fast food back then so what did it feel like it. to be now you're what 16 yeah with a kid Yep. Got your own place. Yep. Officially married. Awesome. Were you thinking about this? Like, what was going through your mind? So, I was still super young and super immature. You know, like, way less than I am now. I'm sure I'm still got a lot more to go. But, like, obviously, my wife was way more mature than I was. She had spent her life taking care of her younger siblings. You know what I mean? Her mom working, like, double shifts all the time. And I had grown up with little, like, responsibility. So, for me, I was... I probably was or definitely was like selfishly like, oh, like the boys can come through now. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what happened was like we had our house, but I also had probably like two or three homies over like every single day. So it was it wasn't like I was like onto this like super core family journey thing. There was like a like Alyssa grew up at house parties, like literally just walking around house parties. That is pretty amazing, which it makes a lot of sense because. You're 16. You're a skateboarder. Exactly. Th- that's just the life that you live. Yep. And I, what? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm stuttering right now because I have this mental image in my head of what your house was like when you were 16, and thinking about Alyssa sitting there. She's like what two years old now, or I actually, I actually remember it was like I think it was Alyssa's two or three year old birthday or something it was really it was really weird dichotomy so we're at my apartment and we're having her party and we're like barbecuing and got the pinata and both sides of the family are over plus like the Reezy family which is like all my homies it's like my chosen family I don't know right. if you don't skateboard like you don't know but like the crew plus and it's like a real family plus like everyone's actual family. And we're definitely not 21. We're like 20 at the oldest, but we have like cases of beer and we're just doing what like a normal, we're not like we're getting wasted. We're barbecuing and drinking some Paps Blue Ribbon. And I, I like, I firmly remember this, like there being like adults there that would like try to judge me like a year before, but, but it was like, you can't judge me. Like you're at my party at my apartment eating my food that I yeah. bought. We're barbecuing. And then like, I remember, uh, Rose's stepdad, who was, like, a pretty force to be reckoned with. Like, when I say, like, they wouldn't want nothing to do with me, he was, like, in my face. And uh, I remember we're in the back drinking, and the door opens, and we have, like, we're on the grill, and we're bumping too short, and we're drinking Paps Blue Ribbon. We're kind of out the side of the main party, and the door opens, and he looks out, and I was kind of like, oh, shit. And he was like, you guys got a beer? And he's like, who's running the grill? I'm going to run the grill. And he started running the grill, and he's singing the two short songs and everything. And I was like, damn. Like, he's in the game. Uh, dude, everything changes when you get in the game. I wonder, I wonder if it's something. What, it's just them being comfortable with you 
and knowing that you're at least on some track to where you can provide a quote unquote real life shelter protection, right? Whatever the, it is, all the basic stuff that you need, right? Or not just some guy who's gonna like, cool, I got your daughter pregnant. Now I have a kid. And I'm just gonna leave. Yeah, which I guess I didn't really understand too much, but I'm sure there's some statistic somewhere that's partially true that says something like, you know, less than half of one percent of dads that have kids under age 16 or whatever you know like stick around so it's like i mean the deck is stacked against you yeah, in that situation definitely. you're you don't have and you didn't come from a super strong like family background yeah so you didn't have those built-in role models the, dude, to the, be like this is how you take care of a family or this right. is what well, you do if you're what? a dad learning what not to do is kind of the exact same thing as learning what to do so that's how i look at it right yeah, you're and like, then, I know I'm not going to be this kind of person. Exactly. I know I'm going to do the things that I always wanted them to do that they, they didn't do, right? What, what was going on in your mind? Were you thinking about, cool, now we have this apartment. I got food stamps. I got a little bit of income. Were you thinking bigger than that? As like, I'm going to have this family for the rest of my life. How do I make a move to take care of them? That totally probably didn't hit me for like a few years later. Probably not for, not till probably not till like Alyssa was like five and we had moved back or like maybe on the progress to moving back. What prompted the move back to California? Um, what happened was at one point we, we started coming out to Santa Cruz. Like we came out for spring break once and I was like, you know, it was like me always have telling everyone the fabled stories of the land, you know, that I come from. And so like we got a car and we went out there for spring break and we brought all the homies and we made like three skate videos in like one summer while we were here. And like, and, but then while we were here, we found out that we could buy some things here that were a lot cheaper than they were in Kansas. Oh, like what? Um, illicit, gotcha. illicit stuff. Yes, exactly. Stuff that I don't do anymore. Some but things. anyways, and so at first we were just doing it for ourselves, but then it was like, it was a huge opportunity. And, and at first we we're like, oh, this will subsidize our trips to California. Right. And then it became a thing where I was like, eventually it was like, well, I got to deliver pizza now because I need a free schedule so that I can do whatever I'm going to do. And that kind of got like hectic at one point. Um, a lot of people owed me a lot of money. One guy just disappeared and he owed me, I think, like five or seven racks at one time. Wow. Which was like at that time was like my savings. Um, it, was like a, people, it was like a nest egg. For everybody that doesn't know, that's five to seven thousand dollars. Thousand Dolores <laughs> greenbacks. But anyway, so it kind of shocked me and I was like, wow. I kind of just had this revelation that like some people, like besides your like, family i kind of think that like everyone has a price like everyone will like fuck you over if the pile of money is big enough you know what i mean like if the pay i don't know it just freaked me out because this was like one of my skateboard homies who i've been skating with for like five years who i would consider like a brother but anyways so it just shook me and i was like fuck that i'm taking what i got it like who it could happen again i'm out and i just went you know and i used all of our money to uh We got a U-Haul. We sold what we could. We packed it. We bought a car that could tow a U-Haul, sold the other crappy car because we were still rolling on like $1,000 to $2,000 like tax check cars, basically. You know what I mean? Back in the day. And then we drove that um, back to to Santa Cruz. But before before we did that, I came a month earlier um, with some friends and then took the Greyhound back. And while I was here, I scouted out, uh, an apartment for us. So it took days. I was taking the bus around on Craigslist, like cafe computers, whatever, found a spot, like sold them on the spot. Like it was really hard to get it. 
Um, and so when we arrived here, we had like no jobs um, and enough money to live for three months. And that's it. Um, and we had a place in Scotts Valley. Rosa got a job uh, doing like nursing stuff right away, like LPN or whatever. Like, I don't know not, what that is. Not like a registered nurse or whatever, like working in homes, okay. home care facilities. Care. Like, yeah, yeah, care for people, whatever. And it was crazy. They're trying to pay her less than she was making in Kansas. In California. Right, exactly. So Heavy. that's when I started turning up the eBay stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, we have the flea market and yard sales all year round, which in Kansas, they don't even really have a flea market. And it sucks. And it's only seasonal yard sales, right? So so this is what year now about? Uh, 2004? 2004. Four, like right, probably right before 2005. And when you say you started turning up the eBay stuff, were you already selling stuff on eBay before? Yeah. So I had sold stuff in Kansas on eBay, but I was mostly selling like bootleg DVDs on eBay back in the day. But it's more detail to it. Um, there were fan sets of cartoons that uh, at the time weren't currently available on DVD or any way. Um, so I was doing a service to the community. How did you recognize that there was even a market for that? Um, I really don't remember. I probably would have to ask my brother. Me and him were always, I have a brother who's like a year and a half younger, Royce, and we're always, he's, he's like, he's like me, but he never skateboarded all that time. He focused on becoming super smart. So, um, but, uh, I don't know how we got into it, but I know we, of course, were downloading stuff. And I don't know. I think I think really we might have downloaded like a cartoon that we wanted, like all seasons, like say like Batman the animated series. And then when we got it, instead of being like AVI files, it was like ISO images of DVD discs, and there would be like six of them. And if like I'm going nerd on you a little bit, I'm sorry. But anyways, then you would like have to play them in a different way. They were like real DVDs. They had a menu, an episode selection thing and everything. But it wasn't made by the company because they didn't really have it. And so I saw that and I was like, oh, someone's making these. You know what I mean? And then I went and like looked it up on eBay. And then we started making our own DVD menus. I was the first person to make the uh, complete fan set of the 1980s Ninja Turtles. It's like a 10 DVD set. And it made all the labels so that like when the spines lined up, you know, it was like it was like really professional looking besides the fact that the discs, you know, had paper label art on them, not like actually printed. But it was acceptable. But what happened was it got super cutthroat. People knew people that worked for eBay and they were like getting them to snitch on you and getting your things shut down while then they could keep going. And then people would buy your set and then file a claim, a a chargeback claim. And you don't want to draw attention to eBay. So you just be like, no, just let it go. And then, then they would start selling the set the next day too. So they're taking you out from the inside, right? Because they got the direct. It got line super competitive. I looked at it a year ago, and there were still people doing it, but not for um, cartoons anymore. Because that action actually showed the companies that there was interest in those, and they actually ended in them reproducing, you know, making official DVD making sets for, for Ninja Turtles. Exactly. So now the stuff that's there is like old black and white TV shows or like old westerns, like stuff like. It's the same kind of stuff that if you find on VHS, it's worth money because it's never made it to DVD. And it's this weird, like, situation. Was that the first time you ever resold something? Or no, do you even I mean, count that as reselling? I mean, so it's kind like, of like creation I, and I selling. learned the game from, like, hustling because I had no money and I lived across the street 
from the boardwalk. Basically, I had so many disadvantages that became my advantage. That's kind of like how I think about it, right? And then that turned into you know, like running scams at the boardwalk, cheating the games for the tickets and the tokens. And, you know, it starts with like saying, hey, this game ain't my quarter. You know what I mean? And that evolves into much more devious stuff. But then selling drugs and then eBay because I saw commercials on TV for eBay. What do you think it was in your mind? Because when I, when I talk to you, whenever I talk to you, it's really apparent to me that you have an eye for things that are opportunities. Or you can see something that someone's not picking up on. And whether yep. that's being able to get more free quarters or tickets from something yeah. as chill as like the boardwalk to it, like, there's this stuff everywhere that is worth money and it's just sitting in front of people's faces. Like, right. So, dude, I exactly about that. Someone sold on eBay like just the other day they sent me an image of the sold thing 50 Chick-fil-A sauce packets for 50 bucks what with free shipping amazing but it, dude people were replying to my story and they were like that sauce is good though <laughs> and I was like thinking about it and I was like obviously you can't really it's not sustainable that's not scalable to mob them for 50 Chick-fil-A sauces but say like you eat lunch there a couple times a week you grab a couple extra you at least are getting free lunch out of that. Do you think you always had that eye for just so seeing what was around? That, or was I, it a result of like, I, I don't have anything, so exactly. I'm looking for it anything. Was, it was a necessity, which is why I struggle with how to teach it to my kids. It's like the rich dad, poor dad thing. But for example, I used to like pretend I was playing video games in the pizza arcade and then wait for that family to leave because they would leave like two to three untouched slices on the table and then I would bum rush it and then leave the pizza place. Or I would like treat buy one get one free food coupons like money and I'd have them in my wallet and when I would get hungry, I would go to the line of X food place and be like, hey, tap a dude and be like, hey, when you get your burger, here's a coupon, like can you give me the, the free one, you know? And no, no one's going to rip you off in that situation. But anyway, so like... I just, I never had anything, so I always had to do that, and then, like, especially, man, so I always noticed that, and then I became that way with knowledge, too, um, and skateboarding kind of helped me do it, too, because that was, like, my first, like, chosen family that gave me, like, a reason to, like, work hard for stuff, to try to impress people that I respected, which you could only do through hard work. It's the weirdest thing ever. Um where are we going on that? I'm sorry. We were going with your ability to see an opportunity. Oh, yeah. So, and so like, I, I realized that's valuable with information, too. So I was like, I'm not the guy that has the 20 bucks today, but I'm the guy that's going to tell you, you know, how we are all going to go eat right now or like whatever. Like you have to bring something to the table. You know, if you if you're just a suck. You just can't hang out if you're just every time you're just bumming lunch off everyone. It just doesn't work. Like, and even worse, you bum lunch off everyone, and then the day you have 20 bucks, you know, you don't show up. Dude, right. You're out the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're in a squad like that and hanging out with skateboarders because people will call you out. Right. Be like, bro, you never chip in. Right. So you're I'm not chipping in at all. So I've always been like able to notice opportunities to the point where it's like annoying to other people, right? Like I have way more ideas than I can do. I just give them away to people. Um, And I've always been really helpful to like friends with information or knowledge or like just random stuff. Like if you, if I had a keyboard and I wasn't using it and you were like, yeah, I like keyboards. And I was like, dude, borrow this. And you're like, uh, eh, not really. (laughs) The, The first thing I think that we connected on aside from being in the cafe was I was trying to figure out how to get, Adobe Premiere on this computer that I had and I like didn't know where to get the software and I didn't know how it worked. And I didn't know how to set it up. And you're like, bro, dude, just 
Meet me back here at like four o'clock or whatever. Got you. We got together. Got you. And you had all whatever shit you had. I have no idea what it was. Yeah. And we'll just say that Chris has no understanding of anything. We're <laughs> we're getting it from these weird places. Yep. And you set it all up. And but the runs. important part is you didn't get a virus. I did not get a virus. No virus. No, 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 no. It was fully legit, and I ran that throughout the, like the whole life of that computer. That's awesome. And I I had no idea how to set that stuff up because we even though I had edited video before and right. I had computers before. I had zero technology background. So that's, yeah, so I, I guess I barely remember that because that's just, that's like, that's just what I do. I'm like, oh, you need help? Like, yeah. let's do this, you know? And I was just a customer at that point. And then we basically probably just connected off of the fact, like, I just knew you were a skater because you were wearing, like, core skate shit. Like, no one wears, like, chocolate regularly and girl and, like, FTC if they're, like, a poser. No, and especially not in 2009. Right. Which is around this era, because that's when I moved here. In in between that time, from when you moved back to about when we met, did you have any kind of a normal, regular job? What so are you doing I for worked, income? I worked, um, I worked at a... Oddly enough, I worked, which is connected to how I rented this place. There used to be a head shop below here. And I worked there for a little less than a year, like a glass shop, a pipe shop, right below where we're sitting and recording this, right where I below where I lived. Um, and the strangest thing is that it's like the whole reason I have any tie to this whole area is that my aunt Nancy used to own a thrift store on 41st, right below here to the side called Treasure Point. She had it for over 10 years. It's now called All Shook Up under different ownership. But the same guy owned this whole building, and that's how I knew the people who lived up here. That's how I got this this place as well. So I imagine that working at the head shop is probably a small percentage of your income. If um, so, at that at that time, the the Amazon stuff hadn't taken off too much, and then I think I was actually focusing on eBay stuff still, or hadn't even started the Amazon much. Um, but what would happen was one. One guy who worked at the skate shop would come in every once in a while, Jordan, to the glass shop, and he would see me, and I like kind of became friends with him like that, you know, skaters, and and he knew I filmed and I skated because I had already through that relation I started connecting and I was already in the skate community, whatever, filming VX1000, all this stuff, and then he was like he wanted to go on a tour, and he was like, oh, I want you to go film with us, and so I like I got a week off and I went down to. Southern California, some big um, skate contest, I forget. But, um, and I filmed that. That footage was in Strange Notes. Um, so I made some money off that. And then just like based off our weekend after that, he was like, dude, I want you to work for me. And then like be able to go, like I can't pay you to film, but like, you know, I can take you on these trips for free, you know, like when we need you. And I was like, oh, that's the dream. That's a dream. Like so the whole dream. Like I had a cush job working in a head shop. It's not very demanding, right? But it's still not the dream, right? And then I was like, skate shop? This is the dream. So I, I left the glass shop to work for the skate shop, making the same amount, um, hopefully doing something I love, and get leaving behind, I was supposed to, you know, be apprentice and learn how to blow glass. That was, like, why I was doing that. Um, but it turns out that's not fun. It's just hot and terrible. Very sweaty. Oh, God. So then skate shop, and then turns out working in a skate shop actually sucks. <laughs> What didn't you like about it? So the worst thing is, like, all you want to do is go skate, and your boys are, like, coming in and, like, setting decks up, and they're like, yeah, we're going to go to this new park 45 minutes away. Like, there's there's room in their car. Like, you could go, but you can't because you're tied down, you're you stuck. know? And, yeah, just 
it's just terrible. It's just, I mean, it was cool, right? Because it was the same thing. It was like a, it's a very cool, shitty job. Very cool. Cooler than delivering pizza, which is also a really cool, shitty job. But at the skate shop, at least at our skate shop, when all the work was done, we would like move the racks to the side and like play a game of skate or like play. There's no customers. We're playing skate outside, you know, on the sidewalk. Like it was sick. That was the same career track that I had. I was a delivery driver for round table pizza and then from there to the skate shop. It was <laughs> that's like, awesome. It was so dude, real, dude. So you feel me though, delivery pizza is like a killer dude, shitty it, job. It is and it was at the time it was amazing. Unlimited pizza. Dude, you listen to music. You're all by yourself in the place that I worked for, we didn't even have to use our own cars. So some places, I don't know how it works now, you have yeah. to use your own car and you get credited miles or whatever. For whatever reason, this round table that I worked at, we had a fleet of three. It was two Toyota Fleets. pickups and then one like Ford Escort. Dude, it's sick. All you can eat pizza, listen to your own music, your output, your income is directly related. That was one of the first things I did where like my it was a job, but my like a real job, and my income was like directly you know what I mean? If you hustled harder, mm. if you were smart enough to have paper plates and cheese and stuff with you all the time so that when they ask, you know, and if when they when you're giving them the change, you count it back a little slow so they just go, ah, keep oh, it. Fine. You take it forever. Oh, I was the dude. It was dude. it was tight because there was there were three or four of us at the place I worked and we were in full-blown competition with each other. We would go in the back, and I'd be, like, planning out my roots. And I'm like, yeah. all right, I know this part of the neighborhood. These people are savage tippers. And if right. I can stack these three orders up, I can get back in time before this one's coming oh, in. Yeah. And I'm just going to kill it. And we would go. Another friend of mine, Josh, who I grew up skating with, so we were both in the same game. We would just go back and forth all day. Like, who's going to bring home more tickets? Like, Who's going to have more money to spend on 59-cent bean burritos when we hit the session super hard? <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. It was so real, but I feel you with skateboarding because you're in there, and you're at the place that you want to be, but then everyone's doing the thing that you actually yeah. want to be but doing. But it was still cool because I got to be a part of a lot of stuff, right? So the skate shop had a team, and I was involved with that. I was kind of like, I wasn't like team manager at all, but you know, I was like, as the filmer, I was... Had and not being the manager of the skate shop, who was the team manager, I was kind of more in touch with the riders. So it was kind of like a information channel, you know, through the ride. And like, it was just super awesome. Like they did a um, a competition in Deluxe um, Enter the Dojo. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't see. So that. they have their skate park called the Dojo, and then our shop got to go there and skate. It was like 10 skate shops filmed a thing and then put it on there. And so I filmed it along with this guy, uh, David Duesturb. Um, and the footage is not the greatest. I didn't know they had all these lights and I had a VX 1000. So like I ended up using the dude's VX 2000 footage as much as possible. Um, but I edited it all and I did it like into the dojo. I made it like, uh, street fighter style so like it's it's super sick there's street fighter sound effects and like i did a whole like after effects street fighter intro just like the video game like i ripped graphics off the arcade like it was sick and we won an award for like best video editing for that but i don't own that trophy the skate shop has it's a it's like a it's just a, a deluxe deck that has like a little gold square that says you know enter the dojo best editing award and then like has the a tape that's broken in half and stretched out across the deck. And then here's the trippy part. I think there might be a hidden message on that tape. What's Is it that still tape? downstairs? Um, no, so that's the boardroom now. Where were you at? Danny Keith owned the Santa Cruz skate shop, and that was like the grind-out hunger thing. Yes. Or what. So I don't know where that thing's at in his office somewhere, but Danny, if you're listening, 
Ooh, we we need to that. transplant that tape and find out what is actually could be a hidden message. I'm that's just awesome. For everyone that's listening, Deluxe is like one of the biggest, most epic skateboard distributors slash mothership situations in the U.S. They're, they've been crushing it for How a long, long time. How long have they been around for? Dude, I don't know, but they're continually in the mix. Like their brands are amazing. They yep. never fizzle out. And they take care of their riders that's the long thing. term. Everybody has only good things to say about like Jim Thebo and the whole crew that's over there and that whole squad. If you have no idea what we're talking about, I'm sorry. Um, Plus, they taking care of my boy Dennis Buznitz. So. Dude, number one stunner. Guy's a savage. Dude, it's crazy. So when I met you. You were, I don't know where you were working, but you were doing a couple things. You were, I was, I was doing the Amazon already. You I were think. doing, no, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Because you were selling remember, books. Yeah, but I remember why I would see you because I would working at home all day across the street and I would just walk across the street and get like copious amounts of coffee. Ridiculous amounts of coffee. Like eight, 16 ounce cups of coffee Hella a day. Hell cream and sugar. And oh, just like it was going candy crush. In, dude, it was, I was like, is this guy for real? Yeah. Just at the condiment I didn't know bar, anything. Just, my my entire coffee journey had been like, okay, when I entered the workforce at 16, I was like, God, this sucks. How do you guys do this? And they were like, hey, let me introduce you to Mr. Coffee. And like, that's how I started. And like, they were probably drinking like Folgers with like powdered creamer. I don't remember. That's all I knew. And then I went from that to like, I never made coffee at home. I don't think I only drank it at the workplace. Um, and then living across the street from Chill Out Cafe, and my aunt used to own this thing for 10 years. Like, I know that guy. And so I would get free coffee at Chill Out Cafe, which is like, sorry, Chill Out. It's butt water. I love you. Your burritos. Um, but anyways, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it just is what it is. Uh, no, no, it's I a, mean, burri- it's I a mean, burrito shack it's, that has hey, coffee. It's the dude. All, all coffee is better than no coffee. That's I want to be clear with that. But anyways, so that was like my coffee game, and I w- it just was gross. So I would put sugar and stuff and um i still had never had espresso and i think i had barely like went to a starbucks a few times and got like a mocha frappuccino or something like that's my entire coffee journey like it and then um verve opens up across the street from my house and i'm still like super cheap like growing up poor i'm so cheap but it was like the day they opened it was like free drinks unlimited free drinks everything on the menu like everything, whatever you wanted. Like, and I was like, wow. And like, from a marketing standpoint, I was like, what a way to like open your door to the community. Because in this town, Santa Cruz, if you don't do shit like that, people just consider you like a tranny and like definition that means transplant. Like there's a a vibe here where like, if you're not making it better here, like if you're coming here to extract value only, we don't want you here. And so like, that was like I thought like super cool and welcoming. So yeah, that was my four. I probably had like everything on the menu that day, um, and then just started going every day, getting regular coffee because I was a cheap ass and I didn't want to pay four seventy five for a, a mocha or whatever, which is probably what I wanted. A mocha, I would assume. I mean, it's it's ex- it's an expensive habit if you're used to adjusting from free coffee from Chill Out, which mm-hmm. is only ninety nine cents, right? For real, to paying three bucks for black coffee right. and four or five dollars for a fancy no, drink. And honestly, you have to care because I do think there is a hundred percent placebo effect in coffee as well. Like I start feeling the effects of coffee before I drink it. As soon as I know I'm about to drink some coffee or I have a cup in my hand and I have the ability to raise it to my mouth, like I'm already feeling it. You know what I mean? So it's like I think 
like mentally, but yeah, obviously really good coffee is better and it likes, you know, it's handcrafted and, and whatever. I didn't know any of this at the time. I was just getting copious amounts of coffee. I was drinking like what, 16 times, like at least five a day or Dude, more. you were going hard. Cause I was drinking a lot of coffee at the time and I was thinking, yeah, I was drinking like 80 ounces a day is just bananas. That was before caffeine started to affect so, me. So crispy and the good Samaritan he is. I d- <laughs> Yeah, it was, well, it was really interesting because I was just, well, one, you were shocking to me. I was like, that's insane amount of coffee. But I kind of want to, I want to back it up and I want to know, because when I met you, you were, you were already selling stuff. But I remember you were specifically doing two things. One, you were selling books and I wasn't even sure if it was Amazon yet. I guess it probably was. But I, and to be fair, like Amazon then was not what it is now. I didn't I, know what Amazon was before then, and I had never purchased anything off Amazon at it, that time. It was, and, and back then it was strictly books. Like, I think they had music too. Did they have but music? Pretty much like books. And I think it was like the beginning of starting to have stuff, but it wasn't like now where like you look at someone crazy if they say they don't like buy on Amazon. It was not the default place that you go to find everything that you need. You were selling books, and I remember thinking, why? Like, like, how much money could you make selling books? Because you would come in, and even when I came over here, there's just fucking books everywhere, used everywhere. books. And my mind, because I, I came up from like a really, I don't know, my childhood was like, for all intents and purposes, pretty boring and pretty traditional to where it's like, you go to school, and then you get a job, and you get a thing, and I'm just thinking like, why would anybody pay money for used books? Like, I don't, right. I don't understand it. The other thing that you were doing simultaneously, which struck me as not odd, but just interesting, because I maybe I was just judging you from the way you looked, which you looked like all of my friends at the time, <coughs> was you were gathering up old skateboards and old skate parts, and you were making completes and then giving those away to kids who didn't have enough money to get their own boards. Dude, that's sick. And I was, I remember thinking, I'm like, what a fucking weird, interesting combination of a guy who doesn't seem to have a regular job, lives across the street, drinks so much coffee, selling used books and giving away free skateboards. Like, I don't understand what's happening right now. Dude. So basically, um, what happens is like, you know how, for every skateboarder that's listening and Chris knows like your box, you know, under your bed, your box of parts, right? It's like all your old skate stuff. And it's like, it's just not completely trash. And like, depending on like how spoiled you are or not, like your box could have various grades of stuff, but like everybody has at least the box of backup parts for themselves or for their boy, or you get grounded and your skateboard gets taken away. So you like call your boys up and you like, you know, Franken complete one, you know what I mean? But it's like, when you work at the skate shop, that gets multiplied by 10. And, like, i seen people throw away whole completes, like, trucks that were totally good. Like, trucks are, like, eternal. Like, most people will not use up a pair of trucks in their entire lifetime, especially if they're independent. Right? Like... And I uh, trucks are something that I hate getting new ones. Oh, it's, it's something the worst. It's like, oh, breaking them in and like, getting them to where they feel right. like yours. It's annoying. like, you know... If you work at a skate shop or you have any money, like, I want my shit crispy, right? Like, crisp, like a brand new deck, brand new shoes, like, brand new wheels, gotta have Swiss bearings, like, sick, right? And so, like, one grain of sand, and I'm like, I throw all the bearings away. You know what I mean? But, like, not really. They just go in the box. And so, sometimes we have too much stuff, and, like, they're like, throw it away, get rid of it. And I'm like, oh, I'll take it home. 
I'll take it home because I'm just like a hoarder because it just grew up so poor, right? It has value. And so then I came up with the idea for recycled skateboards, which I have totally abandoned and haven't pursued. I should bring it back to life. Um, and I have the Facebook page for that. And I think I have an Instagram for that, but the concept is just like assemble legit skateboards. Like, like I'm not putting together like busted chipped decks. Like these are like legit decks that have good life in them from like people that are spoiled basically. Right. Like it's just how it is. Right. Some kids will take it till it's like sharp enough on the tail to cut you. You know what I mean? But me and Chris, we're going to like, oh, damn, three layers left? Like, it's, we got to get a new deck, gotta, you know what I mean? catch that thing in, yeah. Right, the pop's gone. And so we put them together, um, and then I made a logo which looked like the recycle logo, like of the paper triangle folding, but it was like a skateboard deck folding three times. Um, then recycled skateboards, and I made a template, and I would spray them like two colors, white and green and white or white and whatever. And then I would go and give them to kids and like take pictures and put on Instagram or whatever. Um, but it was just I mean, really, really time intensive. There's a there's you weren't a putting out on Instagram then because I don't think Instagram would it even exist or then? maybe it was Facebook. I don't maybe, know. I don't know. But there's another company that does something similar and they're actually local. I forget what they're called, but it's all brand new. It's the exact same thing. I w- my idea, but companies just donate then massive amounts of free stuff because it's a charity and it's a tax write off. And then they have volunteers assemble stuff and then they go to like schools and give away. You know, you know, it's the same exact thing, but. I really feel like as skateboarders, we have this responsibility. We create a large amount of waste and like urethane wheels are not recyclable. You know what I mean? Like in my head, I'm like, oh, the wheel has a flat spot. Well, like let's like make a machine where we can like put the wheel in and like just shave a millimeter down till it's legit. Brand new wheel. Spin like, it into something brand new. Have you ever seen some, how people can take decks, like totally screwed up decks, and you but you cut out the shape, and it's a perfect little little mini cruiser or something? Yeah, someone did a, like a shaping party at an event where you bring your old deck in, and then I can't remember who was running it, but it was, I think it was maybe Donnie Barley or someone Sick. who was a, a professional skateboarder, for everybody that doesn't know. Inventor and, of the Barley Grind, which, <laughs> if I'm correct, is a Switch 180 Smith grind. Yes, for sure. And he would shave the deck down to a new shape, sand it down, make it perfect, and then they were donating free trucks and wheels back to these people and doing basically free cruisers for people. Just to Oh, was it an element thing maybe? Yes, for nice. sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but it it was that same it was that same idea and I thought that was pretty rad. It's sick. Because they took it and not just recycled the deck, but also donated more stuff, but turned it into an experience to right. where someone could see someone that they knew yeah. cutting out a new shape. And I it, mean, I feel like we forget about it a lot, but it's important to be like, to be eco-conscious, right? Like, it, it starts with me just being like, man, I can only fit so much trash in this can that they give me and I got only I have to wait a week for them to come, so I can't, I have, you have to recycle. You know what I mean? And, but then like, I don't know, I just think about all the stuff we have, you know, people just donate it to Goodwill, which is why people like me are in business and can sell stuff online, but it's like still, you know, the Goodwill throws so much to the landfill. I would like to see the numbers on that. When was the first time that you attacked something like the Goodwill and were like, I'm going to take this book and sell it again? Like, how did did you even think of that idea? I found out about selling books before I found like a a good spot to buy books, which would be like the goodwill, you know, but, um, it's just right away. Like as soon as I, I'm just really weird. Like I'll, as soon as something works, as soon as I know it works like one mile per hour, I'm like confident to do it like a thousand miles per hour. So like, as soon as I sold the first book, I'm like, it works. It's real. 
You know what I mean? Like back then there wasn't like YouTube and like people you could like actually trust that, you know, like people follow me and they trust me and my recommendations and like same thing with you. And we would never like betray our audiences, but like that stuff didn't work. Like that wasn't there before. It was like all these, like everything was fake. Everything was people trying to sell you something. You know what I mean? So you couldn't trust anybody. And then finding Amazon specifically, was that, they didn't do their FBA thing back then. It started that year. It started that year. I got really lucky. It started that year. So I first got books and I didn't know where I was going to sell them. And I figured out it was Amazon. And then, this is really funny, for the first like week of selling books, I didn't sell a single book because, um, and I was losing faith, but because this is how I would list a book. Let's say it's like a really popular book, whatever, whatever. Um, and I go like it should, you know, let's say it's a book that sells 10 copies a day, pretty decently popular and it's worth 20 bucks. And I go and go to list it and I go, Oh, what am I going to price it? The lowest price is $20 and that's on page one. The highest price is like $85 on page five. So I would go to like page two and a half and then I would go, what's that price? And I would price my item at that price, like the middle, like the I'm middle not too somewhere. much, not too little, you People's know what I mean? Champ. And it <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I didn't sell anything. And then my brother was like, why don't you make it the lowest price? And I made everything the lowest price and I sold like everything in one day. And I was like, holy shit. And so like that was kind of the beginning of me understanding like search optimization and like how it works and like how that there on Amazon's page it says, you know, buy now or buy used. And then, like, when they click on the buy used, your offer is at the top of the page. And then, you know, you just, it was the beginning of me trying to think, like, oh, I've never, like, searched for something and went to the third page. Like, not since 1995. Right. You know what I mean? Like, everything you need is in the first page. And, like, that, or at least that's how lazy we are. If I don't get what I want, whether any search engine, Google, Amazon, a store, whatever I'm looking for, if I don't find it in the first page, I just do another search. I'm just like, ah, that wasn't a good enough search. I'm not even close, you know? Like, Yeah, you're not digging through tabs right, so, in Google. Right, so I had to start thinking how consumers think. And I'm still, still, it's still, it's insane. Like, it's, you cannot make sound decisions based on what you would think. And I always thought that was a great idea because I've always was like, well, I'm a pretty smart guy, you know what I mean? But that's not good. Like, you need to ask, like, 20 average people that's what you should do. Like average that shit. You know what I mean? Like you'll get in a mess of trouble like that. Yeah. You're so right. Every time I feel like I am, I'm I'm a good point of reference. Like all people are like me. Everyone's thinking the same way. Everyone's cool. I screw myself over. It's like, it doesn't actually work like that. Right. No. And just, just recently I just, you know, I have a couple like print on demand t-shirt stores on Etsy and I want to make this shirt, this shop sell more. And, you know, I have friends that have similar businesses and they're outperforming me. And I kind of came to the realization and it was because I was shopping for Christmas stuff. When I realized it, this Etsy store that I was on buying something, the colors were like all feminine, like all pinky and purpley and like with flowers. And it was clearly owned by a woman and it had like scripty font like. And then I went back to mine and mine like mine looks sick for dudes. <laughs> it's like black and gray and like white and like all like 90 degree angle angles and sharp and like blocky font. you know what i mean like it's sick for a dude but guess what dudes don't go on etsy and buy stuff yeah dudes don't go so on etsy at by, all by changing my store to appeal more to women and even to make my store owner image uh, a image of a woman that i grabbed off of google from somewhere i sell more stuff yeah, it's interesting because one of the 
biggest extremes of, oh, I'm a, I got a pretty good gauge of what people do and what people won't. If you would have asked me, can you make a living reselling used books on Amazon? I would have said no. Right. Like, no, nobody. That's not nobody. even a thing. Yeah. It's, it's not even a it, real thing. Dude. And then what, you know, skipping ahead to rewind like the other year. I mean, how much money did you make selling used books on Amazon? So there's that quote that you have from Gary right. V when he so calls you out that, that plays in like, your channel. That's, you know, I haven't changed it for a while, but over five million gross in 13 years of selling full time. But in the very beginning, I did really well, um, partially because um, Amazon wasn't like reporting taxes properly to the IRS. So I had much more like leniency in how to file my taxes. And I lived in this place and I paid $1,000 a month rent. That's it. And so I saved a shitload. And at one point I had over $100,000 in the bank and I lived here. I didn't know what the hell to do with it, to invest or anything. So I made, you know, I spent like 10 racks going to audio engineering school. I don't, I got my plaque. I don't use that. Um, I should start a studio though. But, um, you know, I lost like $10,000 trying to make money in pot stocks. I loaned a buddy 25000 He'd fucking disappeared. Like, it's madness. But anyways, and then on top of that, like my life upgraded, you know, I pay, you know, multitudes more for rent now right and i have a much nicer car two cars i just bought a new car so it's like you know what i mean money's just it evaporates right it evaporates but it's must be a really weird feeling to go from having your dad give you a hundred bucks and say have a great time in kansas right to one day opening up your bank account and having a hundred thousand dollars in there right it's it was weird because I had always grown up thinking that if you had $100,000, you were rich and you made it. And when I had $100,000, nothing changed. I, I wasn't any happier. I mean, be, long before $100,000, like the basic stresses of not, you know what I mean? Like, you've, you know, it's been years since your lights got shut off. You know, it's been years since the fridge wasn't full. You know what I mean? Like... You just, you, you, you elevate. You, you were know? having your basic needs met. Right. It wasn't and because I grew up so poor that I'm, I don't like, it's hard for me. I, I have to learn and like teach myself and force myself to want, like I literally, I don't want a Lamborghini, but I want to hang out with guys that have Lamborghinis <laughs> or like yachts or whatever, because I just want to be around that energy of like, it's possible to get a yacht. It's possible to get a private jet. You know what I mean? When you want to go somewhere, like not because I, I just want to be driven. I want that to be the normal. You know what I mean? Right. It's not about having the item. Right. It's not. It's about it's the a, it's about the chase. It's like right? the ability to get the item if you want right. to because you put in the work to do what you needed to do. It's because the reality is you can anybody can do anything, but most people just drift through life and take what's dealt to them instead of, you know, it's harder to 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 get what you want. You have to like master this thing of brainwashing yourself of believing in yourself forever and like never giving up. I read the comments on your channel sometimes, and it's, it's not fun to do. It's sometimes. a mix of people who are incredibly excited about what you do, and then there's a mix of people who are just calling bullshit on everything. I literally, I just, I just, I share them on social media because for me, it's just like a, I'm just gonna blast them, and it's like I'm not mad at them, but it's insightful in a weird way. It's like studying that. It's like a core sample of the average American psyche. Like the other day, some guy, I made a video. 
I sold 134 pairs of shoes on Amazon. I bought them, whatever. whatever. And he was like, uh, those shoe, is it just me or do those shoe boxes look empty? It's and just you. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's just you, dude. <laughs> and, but, uh, and as a side note, like this is the normal type of comment that I get. And it makes me think, and I'm, I'm pretty affirmative that the average person is so narrow minded and so like afraid of really believing in themselves and really trying that they just project that as the default of nope, not possible, negative. He didn't do it. I'm not going to believe it till you show me what value is there in that, right? Like I'm the opposite. I used to be like that. Now I'm the opposite. I'll believe you. I would rather have the wool pulled over my eyes and have wrongly wrongly assumed something positive because the outcome of that is nothing versus assuming negative because you can't have negative thoughts without feeling negative because they're created inside of you and they flow through you right so it's like why spend time why is negative your default it makes no sense because when that backfires you look like a complete ass because like those there is shoes in the box you're just it's just you you know and the other side is is nothing it's great it's like so what you felt good for a while I wonder, I mean, I, I can resonate with where they're coming from. Because if oh, I saw sure. that looking from afar, I would be like, what, dude? No way. What? Seriously? Seriously? Like, right. is he really making the money that he's saying he's making? Is right. He really- and the, the other thing, too, is I'm sure it's probably going to increase as I become more successful on YouTube. Oh. But I, I mean, I get the same comments from day one till now. I get much more of them now that I have 70,000 subscribers instead of 20,000. It's something that's really easy. It's something really easy to latch onto, and it's something I think that's really easy to call bullshit on. But I fucking love it, and it makes me laugh when I read those things because I'm so close to you, and I've seen the whole journey. And there is, there's levels to what you're doing, and you're really good about sharing a lot of it with people. But what people can't see from a video is the amount of energy that you put into taking something from nothing to where it is now. And it's not, you know, you can call it grind, you can call it hustle, you can call it whatever you want, but it's like, it's work. And it's, it's, I see it and it's not as easy as showing up, buying some boxes and then just like cashing it in. So when we first got started, this is something we did and I, most people would not do this. Um, So I sold the first book and I was like, babe, this book thing works. Like, I just made the fastest legal money ever. And I have the ability to, like, do it a thousand times a month. Like, we could be making a couple hundred, five hundred, a thousand a month. I was pretty sure of it. But we didn't have any money to buy books. And so I was analyzing our budget. And the only money we didn't have to give away was the food budget. Like, everything else was someone else's money. Rent, lights. It's not really my money. I was holding on to it, yeah, right? spoken for. Right, but the food. And then I was like, huh. And I was like, okay, well, I used to eat at churches, get food from churches, you know what I mean? Food banks, whatever. And so what we did was we ate one meal at the homeless shelter for a month and saved money. And then, and then for like the next six months, like hammered the food banks as hard as we could to get our groceries. And it's like, that's how we lived. Like we might go buy a bag of rice and beans, you know what I mean? Or like if we get one, like that was it. And that money that saving the food budget was like what allowed us to like roll it into it. But a lot of people wouldn't do that or like their wife wouldn't take them up on that offer or they wouldn't be able to sell their wife on that dream. Like literally I had to sell her on it. Like you have to be a salesman, right? Like what was her response when you're like, we're going to save our food budget and think, eat at I, the church and the I homeless think she's shelter. All, she, I think she's, she's always believed in me. So, uh, that's always good, but I don't know. 
I think she does a good job. I think she would have stepped in if she thought it was like totally well. But the thing was, it was like if it, it wasn't super duper risky. You know what I mean? It was. It really wasn't risky, right? We still had food. We still we could pay all our bills off of her check. You know what I mean? And then then it was like unknown opportunity, which is like. I'm always had always been searching like dude since the day I got my first like AOL disc you know what I mean like I was like there has to be a way to make money with this damn internet right like there has to be <laughs> there just has to be like I remember I used to fill out surveys or like I would get checks in the mail for like six dollars and two cents and my mom would be like what is this from and it would be like a survey or a like I would run banner ads on my own computer and they would pay me to run banner I think I'd use their browser like some crazy stuff. All of those things blow my mind. I I am continually blown away by you seeing that opportunity. And I know that's something I'm revisiting over and over again. And I, I think that's why it's so interesting when people call bullshit on it. Because there's literally opportunity around everyone all the time. But you have to be willing to cash it in. And cashing it in sometimes means being a decent, decently uncomfortable for a decent amount of time. Right. Well... Growth doesn't come from comfort, that's for sure. And it almost, I, I'm wondering if there's this, you know, there's probably something about your extreme level of uncomfortability in where you came from. Right. Versus people who are commenting on your channel who they probably, the bulk of them started life as like regular people. Like, cool, like mom and dad are home, or at least one of them's home. And right. I was never, you know, I was never in foster care and I was never struggling for money. You know, maybe we weren't rich, but I wasn't fucking stealing or three, three slices of pizza right at the pizza parlor waiting for people to ditch on their meal. That's nearly secondhand. Yeah. That's not like most people's experience. So they're maybe what they're not saying is I don't believe you. They're just saying like, I don't, I don't have to do that. Right. No, people even say things like, um, looks like too much work to me. Right. And in the reality, I'm like, well, first of all, you're like, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally, uh, Marty. Um, you can <laughs> hire someone to do the work and pay them less. It's scalable. Secondly, like, let's be real. It's like six hours or 10 hours of work for like $2,000. Like, what do you do? Like, you obviously have free time to watch YouTube and waste it to make stupid ass comments like this. So like, what do you, they don't ever reply after that, but it's just, it's just like, I don't understand. Like literally I dropped out of high school in 10th grade. I didn't go to college. Like my only option is to hustle. It's for me, it's hustle or nothing. Like I, I never had any boats to burn. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's what I think is really important. Like, I think everyone knows that when your back's against the wall, you perform your best, like your most exceptional things you've ever done in your life. Like were when like the shit was going to hit the fan, but like a lot of people haven't been forced to operate there a lot. And like the more you operate there, the more you can harness that. I'm not saying I'm like really good at it, but you can like trick your, like that's kind of like one of the Tony Robbins things is like, how do you perform at like peak capacity all the time by that, you know? And then also weirdly skateboarding played a huge role in it because, and I think about this all the time. Skateboarders are like some of the only people that innately learn that in order to be great, you're going to have to fail a lot, a lot, a thousand times. Like I seriously, it's not even right for me to say I can backside tail slide. It's not even right. I can do it on a red curb sometimes, but it's taken me goddamn near 20 years to learn how to do that trick. Like, obviously I don't skate eight hours a day anymore, but like 
it takes a long time, and most people will give up. A lot of people give up one knock, a lot more two knocks. Like by third fail, fourth fail, people will give up. But as a skateboarder, you know, you're like, damn, Chris can kickflip backside tail slide. All I got to do is try this thing like 10,000 more times, and I'm in the game. Yeah, and it's hours and hours day after day of trying the same thing before you get it, especially when you're newer and you have – you don't have those bearings and but, you, you can't really navigate through it, but oh, dude. And you have to do that with your life too. But the difference is skateboarding is really, really fun to do that in life. You're literally doing it sometimes for things that are not fun, but you have to like keep in the picture. Like hopefully you're working towards like your bigger picture, your dream, your passion. And that's the only way you can actually do it. You know what I mean? The interesting thing about how people are saying, oh, it sounds like it's too hard for me. And you're like, what are you doing with your free time is... I just read James Altucher's book and it's called Choose Yourself. And one of the main points that he drives home is you don't have to accept these people who are the quote unquote gatekeepers. And most of these people who are commenting negatively on your stuff probably have a regular job, which there's nothing wrong with, right. but they still have someone that they need to answer to. And maybe it's a lot of work, but you can go and work two hours a day for yourself. You can go and work, 15 hours a day for yourself, but you are working for yourself doing whatever you want to do. And your income is basically infinitely scalable. Like whatever you want it to be, there's a direct correlation to right. it. If you work for someone else, for most people, you work eight well, hours a day, no matter what else is going on, well, your income is not scalable. Right? And it's, you don't necessarily like wh which one well, is actually be harder because, work because we've been programmed. You've been programmed to believe that, the nine to five life is easier because you've been trained to believe that making decisions is stressful. When in reality, making decisions is the only way you control the reality around you, right? I was thinking about this the other day. Someone was talking about the Joneses. You know the Joneses? Like yeah, that's that family Keep that up like with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah. Fuck the Joneses. But um so where does that start? And I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I've worked for myself for so long. We homeschool my six year old, like I don't even know who the fucking Joneses are. I keep to my damn self. And so I was thinking, why does everyone else know who the Joneses are? Where does that start? Like, and I was like, it starts in public school. You come to public school and you're worried about what Tony and Tommy got. You know what I mean? And then he got a boombox, you know, and now you want a Wii U or, or Nintendo, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, my daughter doesn't want any of that stuff because she doesn't go to public school. She doesn't even know this stuff exists. Like, kids are going crazy and like, temper tantrums for stuff my daughter doesn't even know exists all the while i'm teaching her about like marketing and like she knows like oh i'm, I'm being marketed to dad like but that's where it starts and like society is it's against you like you have to like seriously read like some napoleon hill napoleon hill um andrew carnegie stuff or dale carnegie i'm sorry um all that stuff like the wisdom is out there and it's old it's I, like 100 years old. I think for a lot of people, it just feels safe. And whether that's a false sense of security or not, it still feels like, okay, there's a proven path. If I can right. go to school, go to college, because get taking, a job. Because taking then, risks is uncomfortable. Because taking risks is scary, and people right. will look at you like you're nuts. And even you will think you're so nuts here's, at times, so too. So here's what it boils down to. All I ever had was a risk. That's it. It was, if you don't take this risk to try and realize that opportunity, you won't get it. And I had nothing to begin with. So I was never, ever averse to taking risks. But I have tons of friends, especially through the skateboarding community. They're not like me. 
they're normal guys. They just want to work their nine to five and get off work and go skateboarding. But they, I try to get them to hustle. They're like my good friends for over a decade. I, I give them the game like for free. I'll hold their hand, you know, but they just, well, what if this and, and, and what if that and, and, and this and that. And I just start to realize the average person will not take action unless it's like 90% how they think it's going to go. But like, you know, as a business owner or a creative person or anyone that does anything like remotely worth doing it never goes how you plan the most important thing is to just start and then figure it out right like you have to have a rough plan like don't be a fool but like it's you're never gonna have everything it wouldn't be worth doing or someone else would have done it already yeah it's the classic paralysis analysis like like when you guys started your cafe like i'm sure you guys were like okay it's gonna work i think it's gonna work like we're gonna get customers we will like i'm sure we will right like but you didn't know for sure you, you don't know, know anything mean? yeah you don't know you don't know anything like, you hope and you like put everything in place but like that was a risk that was willing to be took and a lot of people don't and those people are employees they work for other people they have jobs and that's okay a lot of people are cool with making $30,000 a year working part-time and surfing or, you know, living in a, a one room of a shared housing situation and surfing. And like, I, some people don't want to live great lives. And I've come to the conclusion that I can't like force that on people. And like, but I think everybody can. And like, for me, that's what I want to do. I want to leave a legacy. I want to be like, remembered. growing up. I always wanted to be like great, but I never knew how I was going to do it. And then I got jaded because I had such a fucked up life. I didn't believe anything was possible. You know, I was like, yeah, right. You know, I was that guy we were talking about before. And then as I got older, especially once I started doing YouTube, which when I started YouTube, it was a selfish thing. I wanted to do it for myself because I wanted to be a vlogger. I wanted to get paid to make videos. I was going to be the next Casey Neistat. Everyone's going to love me. Turns out it's not true. Um, and then through the way I found out to do it through finding Gary V's book, Crush It, was, oh, I'm going to help people by using what I know, what I've been doing for 10 years, which is basically the same thing you're doing with coffee, and they're going to appreciate me, and then they're going to back me, and I'm going to build a tribe around that, and like that's going to go, and cool, and I'm going to be good off that. But what started happening was the feedback loop of people telling me every day, dozens of people, you helped me. I quit my job. I get to be with my kids more now. We're in Disneyland right now because of you, Reezy, with the kids. And I never thought I would be able to take my kids to Disneyland. Like woman cried on my shoulder at a conference and I was like, you don't have to cry. And she was like, no, you don't understand. Like after I started following you, I paid off $30,000 of college debt. Like I was like, okay, go ahead and cry. Like But you know what I mean? Like that changed me because I grew up really selfish, like not religious at all. And, and so that taught me that like, oh, giving is way better than receiving. And I'm addicted to the feeling I get when people appreciate me helping them. I would challenge you on the idea that Gary V introduced you to that stuff. And you say that you grew up selfish and I don't know you before I met you, but since the day that I've met you, which was well before you started YouTube, you always helped other people out. Yeah, no, you, I, I, I mean, from but like, I, I think I was, I think I was more of like a, I think I was just more selective with it. I think I would definitely like, okay, like, so say when we met, like right now, I'll help like anybody. Like if you bump into me in the grocery store, like, and you're like, I might just help you carry your groceries or like talk to you about social media or like whatever. But like back in the day, I could give a fuck about anybody except for the people that I wanted to fuck with. And my whole thing, and I used to think about money. This whole thing changed. I do my asthma vanished when I had this realization that I had a purpose in life. And I used to think about money like this. Um, before, like I had the realization from social media, I thought I'll do whatever I can 
that takes the least amount of energy to make the most money possible so that I can do whatever I want to with all the other time that's left over. And I think a lot of people think like that, but I, the reality is now I, want my, I have a purpose and I want to do something that's so great that it's going to take so much of my time that I have to really enjoy it and love it or I'm not going to do, you know what I mean? Like the idea that there's no leftover time, right? Like you're just building in the things that you love to, this is your life. Exactly. This is your existence. Like I don't want to dislike any portion of it. Right. Like I, I don't even like right now I'm hiring a VA to like do my emails for me because I've finally come to the realization. That's like one thing I really hate every day, 30 minutes of your life. I have like 10 email accounts it is ruthless, you know? And I realized it because I would go on vacation, have a great time, forget to check email, surprise the world didn't end. Then I would come back. And that's one of those things that I really hate about coming back is like getting back into the grind. And I was like, how do I make it so I don't have to get back into the grind, you know? And so like, that's the first step. I'm like removing all these little things I hate doing so that I can do what I like to do the whole time. That's it. What's your favorite thing about making the videos and being that person and sharing that information is by far when people tell me it helped them out and it changes their circumstance. So the weird reality of it is because I get so comfortable at such a low number, which is what I was talking about earlier. I need to learn how to elevate that higher that a long time ago, I would rather have you make a hundred bucks than me make a hundred bucks. Cause I just, it's, if you need it more than me, I want to help you make it. Like I don't need it as much as you do. And that's, it, it's really weird, but that's just how it is. Like I get more than a hundred dollars of fulfillment from helping you make a hundred than I would get from actually holding a hundred dollars. What do you think keeps you giving back in the same way that you always have? Example, in one of your latest videos, you do the shoe haul you go to like Ross and then you go to the Nike store or whatever. And mm-hmm. then afterwards you go and you buy a bunch of Starbucks gift cards mm-hmm. and then you go back into the store and you're giving these gift cards to the people, to the, the employees, to the employees that helped right. you out. Like, right. So because when I go to the stores, I'm not buying like one pair of shoes. I'm buying like 10, 20, a hundred pairs of shoes, $5,000 of stuff. It could sometimes take like an hour to check me out. It always takes longer to check out than it does to, round up the merchandise and so when you develop a good relationship they'll do things like they'll assign like two cashiers to you or they'll start like ringing you up on the mobile on the side before so like when i'm done shopping i'm already ready to pay and check out versus waiting in line for an hour because they like they uh did a suspended transaction on the mobile or whatever you know what i mean or just even having the workers who are paying attention uh, know that those 10 pairs of shoes right there, those are mine, and they're going to take them to the front for me to my stack so that I can just go through and get what I want and stack it in the aisle, and then they'll take it. Or, you know, maybe they know when I show up to bring me the flat cart. You know what I mean? Or, Or whatever. I just appreciate that they're helping me, and I'm... You know, I'm putting more burden on them. I think the managers appreciate it because, like, their daily sales numbers are like go up a lot, right? right? And that looks good on their dailies. But um, the employees definitely aren't getting paid more to help me. And it's like far and few between that, like, they're great employees. Like, I almost want to steal the ones that are great employees. But um, so, yeah, so I just let them know they're appreciated and just give them a $10 Starbucks card or whatever, you know? It's like it goes a long way. I don't expect anything in return, but it's just like a, a human, a human thing. I'm humanizing myself. I don't want to be just a customer. I want to be the customer you like, you know what I mean? And I, I do the same thing with anybody in real life and it's just important. Like why make your life hard? Like make people like you. 
you called my me, Jared, Charles, when we were opening up, we were running our Kickstarter program. And you're like, hey guys, I want to meet up. Let's let's hang out. And we met right behind there, like in the back on that picnic table. Oddly, we, oddly in the back of Verve. In the back of Verve, which was the place that we all met. So it kind of made sense, even though we we're building a shop around the corner. And you just stroll around and I don't remember what you said, but then you just reached into your pants and pulled out <laughs> fucking roll of like a thousand dollars and gave it to us. And you're like, hey. This is for your Kickstarter. Kickstarter takes a percentage of your profits. You won't need to like tax this if you don't want to. Like make this work for your business. And I was just fucking blown away, dude. I didn't even know what to do. It was like really confusing moment for me. Well, as a business owner myself, like I I like the Kickstarter percentage whatever. It's like 3%, 5, whatever. Not a big deal, but the, the other part, which I'm not going to incriminate anybody here or whatever, it was who knows who we all have accountants and they did their jobs. Um, but yeah, it's just so much better to have to have liquid cash. You know, you can, you can do whatever you want with it right now. It's ready to go. Yeah. And I mean, the percentage aside, one, the generosity was amazing. It's not a little bit of money. It's a lot of money. Um and also, just to even think of it in that way, I thought was really, really thoughtful. So what makes you want to get up in the morning and be like, I'm going to give these guys a thousand bucks? Well, for one, um, I feel like I'm indebted to you for life <laughs> um, because of you exposed me to the world of coffee. Like, I was fully disrespecting the bean before. Like, I literally did not. And, like, that's changed. That's turned me on to, like, wine and stuff now. Like, I wasn't about, like, the the like fine, I would call it like the good of the land or like the finer things in life or whatever you want to call it. Like I didn't know. I just, I knew there was like instant coffee and like Folgers coffee and then like something that was like a little bit better. And so like for me, and then to see that you're going to do that in the community and just knowing what your cafe meant to you and to the community versus like what had actually transpired between that between Verve opening and Cat and Cloud opening and just like wanting to to be a part of that, like to solidify our relationship more to just, I don't know, like it's I like you taught me coffee and I've I've changed people's lives. Like I've probably taught hundreds of people how to make coffee. Those people have taught people how to make coffee. Hopefully the information's not too watered down yet. But like the moral of the story is, is that like I guarantee like thousands of people are making French press that were previously like just on Mr. Coffee. And that makes me super stoked. And <laughs> I, I don't even remember if we were talking about, were we talking about, yeah, we were talking about coffee, we but get yeah. Co- yeah, we get coffee in the mix. And then yeah. just so everybody has an understanding of what's going on at your house, like what's going on at your house? What is your coffee setup looking so, like right now? Um, currently, um, I have a Oscar, uh, by Nuova Simonelli. Um, Italian home machine. Do you know when these were made? I think they were made in the 2000s That's or something. That's probably a mid-2000s machine. Yeah. And so it is a consumer machine, but it's like a high-level consumer, almost industrial. It's like almost a legit It's prosumer, I, th- prosumer. I think. Yeah, yeah prosumer. It's okay. got a legit like 58-millimeter portafilter. Yeah, everything's full-size yeah, on it. Everything's full-size. It uses standard parts. It's a single boiler, though. Um, but anyways, I did a lot of research. I used to hang out on home barista forums back in the day, and I kind of just like figured out that like this was one of the best candidates for me for a home espresso machine. Um, and I think I got one used off of eBay for like 350. But at that point, I remember I kn- it was as is, 
but I, being a seller and also knowing a little bit about coffee, I knew the seller didn't know if it worked or not. And that's why he was selling it as is. Cause he didn't know how to test it and he didn't have a porta filter. So I bought a porta filter, um, and then just started going to town. I got hella lucky. It worked right away. Like it wasn't that bad, but over time it starts to break and we start like, you know, replacing parts. And then I learned about modifying them. And, you know, so now you're taking, um, parts off of higher end Nuova Simonelli machines and then putting them on the Oscar. So I think the steam tip I have is like, is a four hole steam tip modified maybe from the Musica machine. Yep. Um, not a hundred percent sure, but then, you know, I have like the anti-vac valve. Um, I added a lever, uh, conversion cause it normally has this dial and it. it's not like the Linnea mini. It's a total crap dial. It like, it has like a whole rotation of play before anything happens. It's crap. So convert that to the lever, um, what else did we do? Um, added, uh, pressure gauges into it. So it got two pressure gauges, one hooked to the group head, one hooked to the boiler. Um, and there's a couple, there's a couple other things. Um, like the only thing I didn't do yet is like plumb it in, but it's just, I'm not a plumber. I don't want to mess with, Yeah, I don't want to come home and have like water all over the house. That's probably not worth it. Yeah. Cause I, you're making how many drinks a day? Uh, three or four. I'll make like, yeah, two to four espressos a day. And if, uh, if Bay wants something, you know, Alyssa gets fired up once in a while and she'll make a few drinks, but like, she usually just wants to make them and not actually drink them. And I'm just like, great. Like, <laughs> and Rosa she drinks, just comes, she just comes to show off. Right. Rosa so, drinks mochas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But strangely enough, um, she's actually drinking plain regular coffee now. Okay. And this, that like her journey is like a journey inside of my journey, which is crazy because um, her, she didn't drink coffee at all. First thing I got her to drink was like a Starbucks Frappuccino, right? And then from there, I started getting her to drink mochas from Verve, which was good. And then we started to uh, shrink it down. I was like getting small mochas, right? Same amount of coffee, you know, just smaller milk. Um, and then, la- I mean, maybe she did some lattes, but then I just remember like rainy day um, and like all we had was like plant regular coffee and we didn't want to go outside and like, she had a regular coffee. That was the know? transition that was point. It. That's a full transition. And now she just drinks regular coffee. So I make her, this is, hopefully you're not listening, Rosa, but I make her Americanos, right? Um, just because I don't want to take the time to make a single cup of coffee. But I secretly am adding less and less water. Mm, shrinking her down. Shrinking it down. <laughs> Pretty soon you'll be drinking Spro, You'll be drinking Rosa. espresso. No big deal. Yep, That's- yep. But it's all, it's so weird to me. Like it's, it, it's only because I care. Like it hurts my soul. Anything like hack and chop grinders, instant coffee, Folgers, like all this stuff just hurts my soul. And I, I literally feel like I could dedicate my life to traveling the earth and educating people about coffee. Like it's that important. Like how could I have been so blind to this substance that I had been consuming so much? It, how does that even work? Because you you know food, let's eat natural, organic, less ingredients, but then you're just drinking co- and you know nothing. Ab- and now I know so much. Like <laughs> I know processing, like regions, like roasting, like everything. And it's, I mean, I'm not, I don't know the whole book, but I'm just saying like I know how it works and I know what I like. And it's like so, it's a whole different universe from just drinking whatever coffee there is. I mean, you brought a kilo of coffee over to my house and they're like, I'm going to make shots on well, the mini. <laughs> I really wanted to use the Linnea mini. Um, I thought you might have coffee, um, but I thought you might not. So you were right. I did not have any coffee because I bag secured bag secured. Well, you have a subscription. 
yeah. then half of that goes to SG. Yeah. So we have a wholesale account for our business, and it's split because we're OGs. Deep in the game. Yeah. Man. It's so, it's so awesome. Though. I love What I really love, besides educating people about coffee, I love it when someone comes over to my house, and I make them a coffee, and they tell me it's the best coffee they've ever had. That is the shit. Like, I love it. Like, it's insane. And it, to me, that's a problem. That's a problem that, like, 50 to 70% of people could walk into my house and I could make them a coffee and they could tell me it's the best coffee they ever had. That's a problem. I think the world needs more of that, though. And here's what I'm saying. The coffee industry can be so insular. So when we go to events like the big SCA event every year or the barista competitions, the percentage of baristas to... Regular people is really high. You know, you got right. like ninety five percent baristas, yeah. and like maybe someone happened to come in there who's into food it's fancy or something. Coffee stuff. It's fancy coffee stuff. So there's all this rad stuff going on, but we're preaching to the choir. You know, yeah, no one yeah. new is coming home with this newfound love. Like, oh my god, I just discovered that coffee's this whole new world that I never even heard about. And that's why I fuck with you, dude. That's what I'm saying. You're the everyday man's the ev- fucking barista. And that I think coffee could use more of that in general, just like share some, like share these experiences. We talk about your story all the time because there's a judgment in coffee against people who come in and they'll get things that we don't consider to be core. Like we 16 don't consider ounce our, candy crush, like 16 ounce candy crush with like right. half the carafe of half and half and you know, fucking 10 but scoops dude, of sugar but, or whatever. But you saw that as an opportunity to educate a customer and create a lifelong relate. Literally, I am the best billboard for you and whatever you're doing. I just endlessly just spread the message. But and that's mo- just like, you can't get that if you would have just been like, oh, fucking Candy Crush over here. Yeah, and more than that, it's if you're in a place that's not hip to what you're doing or you have people come through the doors that don't understand you, what's the number one thing that you can do? It's just be their fucking friend. Like, care yep. about them as human beings. Give them the, the experience they deserve regardless of what they get or not. Like, maybe people just come in, they just want chocolate croissant. Maybe they don't want coffee. Right. Maybe they want the sweetest, gnarliest drink that they have or, or maybe they want something that you don't even have and it's not like it's not like you're drinking espresso because i showed you the way of espresso like we became right. friends because we became friends like yeah we had good rapport and over time you, you're curious enough to be like dude what is that thing that you're drinking all the time like i don't i, I still that. don't remember if i asked you or if you, you asked, asked me if i wanted it because if it was you i was gonna say how long were you plotting on trying to get me you're like man i'm gonna try and see no, I'm this pretty guy. sure my memory serves that you asked me and it was one day that you came in and we're getting your regular coffee and then we're just like, dude, like what is the deal with that espresso that you're drinking all the time? Like, why do you like it so much? Right. And I made you one and didn't charge you for it because I was like, oh, dude, you have to try this. Right. Like, you just got to get on that level. But you never would have asked if we hadn't built that rapport. Right. Or if I was like well, vibing I, you out for being that asshole a, that's a, cream and sugar. Also on a micro scale, the sample... That's like the thank you. It's the thank you economy, basically. But the sample, like, crack dealers invented that ages ago. Like, you got to give it away. Like, I may have never, ever got in the game or tried espresso if you wouldn't have gave me one for free. It's the best thing Because I remember even on opening day, I didn't have a raw espresso. Free coffee all day. Free espresso. Like, there's, there's literally almost zero downside to giving someone who's on the fence about something, something for free. Right. It's like the cost when it's made out of beans and water, like the raw product cost to us is 
Super it, low. It costs more for labor to make the coffee, probably almost. And then even if you hate it, like let's say I gave it to you and you're like, this is disgusting. Whatever. We still had that shared experience where like I opened up to you. We did something together. Cool. Right. Maybe it's not your jam, but that's awesome because it brings people closer together. And there's value to that, whether you just go back to getting your regular coffee with cream and sugar or not. Right. And it's it's this long play that people aren't seeing and people are like I only want to serve coffee right. geeks and you can come into a shop now and you're the coffee geek and you probably know more about home espresso than the person working behind the counter right but well, it's sometimes not like, I want to just get back there myself and, but the thing is like you weren't born that way like you rewind 10 years and that's just not even a thing nope and I'm just how many if I didn't you even, really I didn't even know coffee existed 10 years ago I know ago. that's what I'm saying if you really want to spread the love of coffee you need to do it from the ground level like how how many people are missing out on having these amazing experiences just because you don't fuck with them in your cafe or right. you just pass them off or you don't take the time to build that relationship or just be friends with people who come through your door. And right. there's, there's like potential in everybody. And I, and I mean, I'll forever appreciate that. Not only you guys exposed me to coffee, you and Jared started with you, but also taught me how to make my own coffee at home. And instantly I literally, you know, I went on a journey. I had, you know, the, my pressy espresso machine, like rest in peace. That was the sickest thing that ever existed. And I was pulling six shots at home and I was saving money. I was making shots for like 50 cents. I think it was my total cost for per shot after buying beans from from you guys. And so and but it was like you have to be you have to not care like it's old school marketing to be like we can't educate our customers too much because then they're going to not need us. Like that's not it. No one has any time. It's 2020 almost. My car's about to hover like <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you can tell, you know, a thousand people how to do something and only one of them's going to actually go and do it, but all 1000 of them are going to value you tremendously for giving them the opportunity to go do it. You know what I mean? So for when I started what I went from drinking like who knows how many 16 ounce cups of coffee a day to drinking like four or five espressos a day. And for me that was like a reduction of I don't know 120 ounces of acidic beverage in my stomach a day so that was pretty awesome i think there is a there's a there's a misconception about how big the pie actually is and how people are gonna take you out of business or i don't want to share my secrets or i don't want to do this and the world one the world is growing two there's people being exposed to you who have never been exposed to you before and Three, like you said, most people aren't going to do the work. And if they do, they're going to do it in their own way. It's going to be a different version that's going to appeal to their own specific clientele. And there, there is not another you. Like, I'll right. tell everybody everything we do. I'll fucking give a brand new coffee company. I'll, dude, I'll give you the phone numbers of all of the people that buy coffee from us. And I'll tell you exactly what we do. And I'll send you all the roast curves. And I'll be like, good luck. Have a great time. Like, you might take that knowledge like distill it down and make right. a, a new version of what you're doing. It's, but it's all about that type of friendship marketing. Like you were saying was that your customers are not just your customers. They're also your friends. So they're going to buy it from you because you're their friend there. And, and the idea that the product, the raw product is the thing that's setting you apart is totally bogus. It's not, it's the ethereal magic. It's it's there's connection and there's points of connection. And I'm aware of that. And I, I see 
I see other coffee companies, and that's why if you look at our marketing, we're not like, we're the best coffee company, or we roast the best beans, or we source the best beans. It's like, we love our coffee. I think it's fucking delicious. And sure, like, of course, mine is going to be my favorite because we have every level of control. Gotta be. I'm totally aware that there's a ton of other good coffee out there. There's so many options. I think the reality is the specialty coffee market is, like, so ripe because... I mean, I don't obviously don't have the statistics, but just from my own analyzation of people I fuck with, and I'm sure it's probably a better guess than yours because you deal with a lot of coffee coffee people, right? Yeah. So, but for me, I'd say a lot of people, more fifty percent or more people, don't even know what specialty coffee is and have never had an espresso. Maybe more. I think that's an underestimate. Like I know most people that would come to my house if I offered them an espresso, they have never had one before. If I look at my immediate family, that's true for 90% of my family, and I'm deep in the game. There you (laughs) go. They're exposed to it, and they're still not even messing How about this? Have you ever gave anyone their first shot and they threw up immediately? My brother had a really weird time. He didn't throw up, but I was so excited. It was... I can't remember what year it was. It was probably, like... 2010 2011 and my brother and i were tighter right now than we'd ever been we weren't those siblings that were like we're best bros and we do everything together you know i had my friend group he had his friend group we kind of just lived at the same house um but he started getting curious because he was like oh you're really doing this coffee thing it it seems like you know it's weird you're getting a little bit of notoriety and like i talked to someone that knew who you were and like what the heck's going on here so when we were working across the street, my brother was like, all right, I'm going to come up. I'm going to see what you're all about. I want to get exposed to this coffee situation. I, I need to see what this coffee thing is. Because my brother had never been in to a third wave cafe before. It's not even a thing. Like We would have like a big tub of Folgers at home. And that's just, that's just how it would roll. Like We always drank coffee at the house, but it's just like, it's Folgers, and it is what it is. So my brother's Take like, it or leave it. Yeah, it, this is just what we do. He wasn't too far off from where you are. So he's like, I want to come see what this is all about. So he comes to the cafe, and he's checking out the cafe. And it's a world that he's never been exposed to, right? Like, the the, the furnishings look different. You know, the cabinetry is different. Like, there's not... Everyone like, has curly mustaches. You know, well, you were talking about being scared because you were almost had to move to Fresno. Right. And we grew up in Modesto. So there's a completely different culture there, especially in the time we grew up, you know? So, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, were not, not a lot's going on over there as far as that kind of stuff. And I was so fucking psyched. I was like, dude, I got this espresso game down. Like, I'm making espresso that so many people love. Like, I'm going to get my brother hooked. I'm going to get him so hooked. But I was ignoring my own rules of engagement. It's an odd, odd thing to be psyched about. I was just so pumped. Well, you know, you get into this... It's the same way to when I see your channel yeah. and you you see what's possible from what you've done and like where you've taken yourself from like zero to absolute hero. Like I can do anything I want if I put my mind to it and like I can have the life that I want to have and your enthusiasm for sharing that with other people. Like coffee was my jam. So I was like, this is the vehicle that took me from just some random dude who ended up dropping out of college to like I've traveled to... Italy, Vienna, South Central America, like everywhere across the world, Australia. I do speaking gigs places just because of this stupid little bean that people take for granted. The stupid seed from the inside of a cherry that 
You toast lightly and crush and mix with water. Yeah, it makes no sense. So I'm like juiced on this because I'm like, this is like propelling my life to this I, fucking I love it. new level. So he comes over and I'm like, just chill right here, chill right here. I set him outside and he's sitting out there and he's got his daughter with him. And I'm like, make the coffee. And I, you know, I pulled it a couple times probably, which is usually against my rules. But I was like, it's got to be perfect, perfect. So I bring it over to him and he, I give it to him. He's like, what do I do? And I'm like, all right. So just like smell it and then. Stir it up real good and, you know, like, go for it. He smells it, stirs it up, knocks it back, and he's like, oh, God. Like, he just can't deal with it. And he's just, I could tell because he's my brother that part of him is like, I don't want to bum my brother out and tell him that the he thing was that trying he made not me to puss is, out. is, like, too nasty or I'm, yeah, like, yeah. a wuss or whatever. And he, he wants to be happy for me, but it was just too it was too much for him so Dude, it, it's intense if you haven't had like real espresso or like large caffeine or something like when that hits your esophagus like there's some signals going to your stomach like get ready it's big time yeah so he he wasn't ready for that and i was i should have eased him in like that was totally my bad like what i should have done knowing that he drinks coffee with cream and sugar and like maybe every once in a while I'll have a mocha i was like i should have maybe made him like a cappuccino something with some milk in it or even like a really tiny mocha or something like that and let him experience the joy of being around our place and our culture and not have to think about it too hard. But, but since he's your bro, I, w- I wanted to give him the truth. You know what I'm right, saying? Like, yeah, I was like, this not? is, this is all in the family, but that was, that was the closest I ever got to making someone throw up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh it's awesome. Like now I just love it so much. Right. It's so, it's so different and there's so much like taste. Like when you pull a shot, especially like of a new bean or whatever, and it's just like, or you get it dialed in right for the first time and you, or even just like the day to day changes of flavor, um, like as the coffee ages or whatever, it's like, it's just, it's all magic. It's so insane. Like I just, I'll hit bang it back. And I'm just like, I'm hella surprised all the time, like all the time, like good in all kinds of new ways all the time. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm like doing the same thing. It's just like, there's magic in coffee. It's like, you can't, you can't like re it's like a hand thing. It's like manual. It's like artisanal. It's like legit. It's like from the earth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's something really mysterious about it to me. And I think that what, that's what was like really intriguing to me about espresso from the time I got my first coffee job. I was like, coffee's cool. I always drank coffee. What the fuck is coming out of that machine? I want to know more about it. And why do the beans do this to us? You know? And like, who like that guy that first noticed his goats were popping off you know? and then you know to where we are now it's just i don't know i'm not religious but i kind of believe in like a higher power and stuff so i kind of believe like a lot of stuff was put here for us to use and and like how could it not be you know what i mean like things like coffee and cannabis and stuff and it's like look like you're gonna take all this medicine like who knows what the hell this crap is made out of and it's gonna make your hair fall out and like blah 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 or you can eat this butter that's made from a plant like that just grows out of the ground it's the circle of life dude it's real it's like it's like an ecosystem that's built into the planet it's like real magic honestly (laughs) no i swear to god because growing up i always liked superheroes right they have superpowers and and magic because it's like magic you know what I mean? magic magic, magic, magic. Is magic but you know what i mean because no, it's like you. more to the eye like than what you perceive normally which is also why i liked taking psychedelics when i was younger you know what i mean 
just, and then and so like you bring it full around like these things make you know magic happen and like it's unquanta it's not like it's not science you know what i mean it's I like you. i can't i can't really explain it i'm just like there's power in these vessels that are here and like i'm not going to go to the level and be like this is how mother earth talks to us through the the vessels that she birthed you know what i mean but like somewhere in between crazy and and not crazy like Something's happening. Yeah, I feel you. I f- and uh, I feel that more more so than ever. I've, I've felt that with coffee for a long time, and now I'm starting to feel it with people a lot more and realizing that like the energy that I put out, that there there is some sort of weird electric cosmic have, have connection. Have you read the book Botany of Desire? No. Okay. I think that's the title. You need to read it. So the hypothesis of the book is that we didn't... Um, like it takes like apples and cannabis and like some other stuff. I forget like two or three things. And the hypothesis of the book is that we didn't like cultivate those things. They cultivated us. And so it's like, Oh, like we didn't make cannabis super potent. Cannabis developed those properties because it knew we would cherish it and take care of it and take it everywhere we went and cultivate it and like keep it alive. Like, and like that, like just read it. You're going to love it. I think it might be coffee apples and cannabis i'm not sure botany of desire yeah i'm gonna look it up on my phone right dude, now. dude i can buy it on uh your store on amazon <laughs> dude is there anything else that you want to share with people before we wrap this thing up we covered life in a crazy whirlwind um style not really just like if you guys are interested in like achieving anything like greater than what you're doing right now. I just want you to know that it's definitely possible. Um, and I can help you get there through the stuff that I teach, which is how to make money online, because I think whether or not that's what you want to do, it can free you and give you more time to pursue like what you truly want to do. Um, whether that's like social media or, or whatever it is. And I'm learning that stuff too and sharing it, but, um, go to my website, reseresales.com. I have a free course for Amazon. It's like an hour worth of videos. If you watch that and you don't want to get in the game, like it's not for you, but that is enough to get you in the game and get you understanding, understanding where you need to go and everything. But, um, the internet money is real. It's not 1920. It's 2019. Um, and so just like take advantage of these opportunities. It won't be here forever. You know, like I can make a living off my YouTube channel and I started that from scratch three years ago. That's ridiculous. That might not be an opportunity in five years or, or 10 years, you know? So just get it while you can and, uh, take advantage of your opportunities, right? Like don't forget about Google. Dude. Hell yeah. Thanks for coming through, bro. Dude. Thanks for having me. It's so fun, man. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround it's phenomenal if you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in you know how frustrating that is so being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing shout out to you wilbur curtis their customer service is phenomenal and they just care they care about you they care about me and i care about them and that's why cat cloud podcast is brought to you by wilbur curtis